Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Well, I guess technically it's been looking like Christmas since right after Halloween, but at least it's starting to feel like Christmas, which is a good thing because it's only three days away. So I hope you're ready, got all your shopping done. If not, um, I'll see you at Walmart tomorrow night. We'll get that done together. But whatever is happening in your Christmas preparation status right now, I just want you to know I'm so glad that you've taken the time to join us this morning. Whether you're doing that at one of our campuses or just connecting online, I am just so, so glad that you are here today. You know, for the last month, we've been unboxing the joy of Christmas. What does that mean? It means we are thinking outside the box about Jesus' birth. We're looking at how, the Je- how Jesus' birth brings joy into our life in some ways with some gifts that we've probably not thought of before. Because here's the deal. The emotion of Christmas is joy. It is the emotion most closely associated with the celebration of Jesus' birth, right? We hear it in the Christmas songs. We see it on our Christmas cards. But understand, that's not something we created. It is something that God desired, that Jesus' birth will bring joy to all of us. I say that because that is the exact message that God sent to the shepherds of Bethlehem that very first Christmas. Check it out there on the top of your outline. It's Luke 2.10. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Christmas is a time of joy for all of us. So my question is, what happened, right? Where's the disconnect? Because very few of us consistently experience joy in our lives, and even more so sometimes this time of year. What happened? What's the reason that we don't experience this joy that God promised? Well, I think maybe two reasons. One, I think we confuse happiness with joy, and they're not the same thing. Happiness is a surface emotion based on circumstances. I feel good based on what is happening to me. That's happiness. Joy is a much deeper emotion. Joy is not based on what's going on around me. Joy is this deep, settled sense of confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control of the details of my life and that God loves me. He has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens to me, whether that's good or bad. I think a second reason we struggle to have joy, especially this time of year, because I think if we're honest, we allow the way we celebrate Christmas to overshadow what it is we're celebrating this Christmas, that we get so busy doing all of these things that we think will bring joy into our life, we don't slow down long enough to focus on the real joy of this season. And so to help us rediscover the joy of Christmas, we're trying to unbox that joy. We're looking at some unique gifts 
that Jesus' birth brings to us. One of them we looked at was the joy of being invited. Christmas means that you're invited to God's family. Jesus was born so that us outsiders could become insiders with God. That's a reason to have joy at Christmas. We also discovered the joy of connecting with others. Jesus' birth means we don't have to go through life alone. We don't have to live isolated and lonely. We can connect with each other and discover the joy of being better together. We also discovered the joy of growing. You can grow. You don't have to stay stuck where you are. Jesus' birth means you can be transformed. You can change. You can't change where you are, and you can't change how you got there, but you don't have to stay there. Jesus' birth means the joy of growing. And today we're going to look at the last gift of Jesus' birth, and it's a strange one. The birth of Jesus gives us the joy of serving others. Now, this is probably the strangest of all the gifts, right? Because we don't think of serving others as a source of joy. Being served by others, that's enjoyable, but it's not enjoyable to serve others, is it? Well, I believe Jesus, through his birth and through his life, turned this idea of enjoying serving completely upside down. In fact, notice what the Bible says, Philippians 2, 7. It says, but he gave up, he, Jesus, gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man. That's Christmas, right? But check this out. He became like a what? Right. Jesus was a servant. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah called him the suffering servant. Jesus' whole life. His death was all about serving, and yet if you look at his life, nobody ever had more joy. Nobody ever lived life with more joy than Jesus, and what that tells me is that there is a connection between having joy and serving others. If you stop and think about it, it kind of makes sense. Have you ever noticed when you do something to help someone else, it kind of feels good inside? Right? Like when you're kind, you do something that makes a difference in somebody else's life. You get that kind of warm, fuzzy. Do you know why that is? Because that's what you were created to do. You were created to serve God, to glorify Him by serving and being kind and helping the people around you. Notice what Jesus says in Mark 8, 35. Jesus says, but those who give up their lives, in other words, give their lives away to serve others for me and for the good news will have true life. That's the sweet spot of life. Joy comes from being fulfilled, and being fulfilled comes from doing what you were created to do, and what we were created to do was to serve each other. And so this morning, I want to look at probably one of Jesus' most memorable acts of service during his life on this earth. And in that, I think we will discover some practical truths about how to find joy in serving others. How to enjoy serving 
others. Now this event, which by the way is represented by this basin, this pitcher, and this towel, this event takes place, it's recorded in John's Gospel, John chapter 13. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you have a Bible app, click there. If you have not, if you don't have either of those, just follow along on your program. This little encounter takes place near the end of Jesus' life. In fact, it's the last week of his life here on this earth. Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem to celebrate a holiday. They're going to have this whole week of celebrating a holiday together. And part of that is a very special holiday meal called the Passover meal. Now, because Jesus and his disciples are kind of a homeless, itinerant, roaming bunch, they don't have a place, a room, to celebrate this meal, so they have to borrow a room. And on their way to Jerusalem for this holiday, the disciples start arguing amongst themselves as to which one of them is the greatest. The reason they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest is because for weeks, Jesus has been telling them, my kingdom is about to come. I'm about to be glorified. My kingdom is coming and is coming quickly. And in their minds, they were thinking of an earthly kingdom. They thought they were going to Jerusalem that week to take over. Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman occupiers and he was going to reestablish the throne of King David. Jesus was going to be on that throne and they were his homeboys. They were the ones closest to him and they knew they were going to be in power. They were going to be like the cabinet. So they're arguing about, you know, who's the top dog. They're, they're having a pecking order argument, right? Because they're thinking it's all about to happen. And as they walk into this borrowed room to celebrate this meal, just inside the door is a basin and a pitcher of water. In fact, these things were inside the door of almost every house. It was there to wash the feet of people when they came in. Because if you walk dirty, dusty, muddy roads that were shared with camels and mules and donkeys and everything. Your feet were filthy. Most people walked barefooted or with very open sandals. And so you just needed your feet washed. And typically, this was done by the lowest servant in the household. If it was a wealthy family, they had servants. The, the bottom of the totem pole servant did the feet washing because that's a nasty job. If a family was middle class or lower class, they didn't afford, couldn't afford servants, one of the children, usually the youngest child that was able to, because this ain't a pleasant job. This is a low job. And so as the disciples walk in this room, because it's a borrowed room, it didn't come with a servant. And they, every one of them walked past this basin and this pitcher and this water and did not do a thing. But Jesus did. The Bible said Jesus took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and one by one, he washed the feet of his disciples. It's an amazing act of service. But as we unpack it, guess what? It shows us four truths about finding the joy of serving others. You may want to write this down. Number one, to enjoy serving others, I must be motivated by love. 
To get joy out of serving, I got to be motivated by love. The joy of serving is not found in the act of serving, but the reason behind it. And the reason behind it must be love. It certainly was for Jesus. Check out verse 1. It says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. Having loved his own, that's the disciples who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some translations say he loved them to the very end. But however you translate it, the point is this. He served them because he loved them. See, serving without love is just duty. It's just obligation. It's just something we do because we feel like we have to or it's expected of us or or we need to do it in order for God to approve of us. Listen, there's nothing wrong with doing your duty. We all have responsibilities and things where we have to do. But if your serving is only done out of duty, that duty will quickly become drudgery because you won't be appreciated, right? You won't be affirmed. You'll be taken for granted. And it will become bitter. Oh, you might keep doing it, but you won't be happy uh, about it. Any of y'all familiar with Sour Patch Candy? Let me see your hands. Any Sour Patch people out there? Let me just tell you something. If your kids this Christmas try to get you to eat one of those, do not do it. Years ago when the kids were little, one of them got some Sour Patch candy in their stocking and they talked the old man into putting one into his mouth. Now look, I've had sour stuff before. I kind of like sour stuff. But this was nuclear. This stuff was bad. I put that thing in my mouth and immediately my jaw's locked up. I'm foaming at the mouth. I'm running into the kitchen to spit it out in the trash can and they're going, no, 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 don't spit it out. Keep it in there because there's a sweet spot when you get through the sour. I didn't fall for it. I spit that junk out immediately. <laughs> Some of us think of serving that way. That, you know, it's, 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 it's sour now, it's drudgery, it's hard now, but, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll find the sweet spot. But I want you to look at what the Bible says about that. Romans twelve ten. It says, love each other with genuine affection. And, don't miss this, take delight in honoring each other. Find joy in honoring, in serving. Serving others is a joy if you are motivated by love. So this Christmas, as you're serving your family, as you're serving your friends, as you're serving at church, as maybe you're serving in the community, and you find yourself a little bitter, a little you know, taken for granted, if you feel a little bad feeling there when you're doing it, then here's what I would say. Check your motives. Check your motives. Because the joy of serving requires serving out of love. Number two, the second thing you got to do to enjoy serving others is I must serve imperfect people. True, right? We have to serve imperfect people. I mean, come on, think about the feet that Jesus washed this night, right? This is a ragtag group of nobodies from nowhere. 
They're fishermen and tax collectors. They're the bottom of the barrel of society. The only reason they are anything is because they got to hang out with Jesus. And yet, they're fighting about how awesome they are. Right? They're going into the room. They are so self-absorbed that they don't recognize the stress that Jesus is under. I mean, Jesus is hours away from being arrested, beaten, nailed to a cross. And because he's God in the flesh, he knows what's coming. He's under all this stress. They're oblivious. After all he's done for them for three and a half years, they're oblivious. Chuck Swindoll, pastor from California, says that this was a room full of proud hearts and dirty feet. And yet, these are the very feet that Jesus chooses to wash. Now look, I I love to serve people. I love to do things to help people when they appreciate it, when they're grateful, when they recognize the sacrifice, or at least when they make some changes in their life. But I struggle to serve people who don't appreciate it, who act like they deserve it, like they're all that in a bag of Oreos. Right? Parents, you ever feel that way? Like your kids don't really appreciate all you do for them? You ever felt that way about your spouse? He or she doesn't recognize all you do. They take you for granted. How about at work? Do you ever feel like nobody really knows and appreciates all that you do? Well, let me tell you this. Next time you're feeling that way, I want you to stop and remember this. That two of the feet Jesus washed that night belonged to a man named Judas. Look at what the Bible says, verse 2. It says it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus didn't wash Judas' feet because Judas still had him fooled. Jesus knew full well what Judas was about to do. He knew Judas had already made up his mind, and yet he washed his feet. And here's the amazing thing. He washed them with the same tenderness, love, and compassion as he did every other guy in that room. How do I know that? Because when Jesus said, somebody in this room is going to betray me, nobody knew who it was. If Jesus had treated Judas differently if he's washing everybody else's feet thoroughly and with love and gentleness, and then he gets to Peter or Judas's feet and he just kind of won't look him in the eye and just a quick job, they would have known. No, the same level. Why? Because serving is not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but on the heart of the servant. Let me say that again. Serving is not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but on the heart of the servant. Joy is not found in who you serve or how much they appreciate you for doing it. The joy is the impact that serving has on your heart. Whose feet are you struggling to wash this Christmas? Who are you having a hard time serving? Somebody in your family? Somebody at work? Somebody in your neighborhood, your church, your community. Listen, as hard as it is to serve those people, serving them may be the very path God wants 
to use to unbox the joy of Christmas in your life. Number three, the third thing you have to do is I must find a strength beyond my own. To enjoy serving others, I need a strength beyond my own. Most of us think of servants as being weak. People serve out of weakness. The oppressed are the ones who serve. The the servants are the ones that everybody else bosses around because they are weak. But let me tell you something. Serving requires strength, real strength, deep inner strength, strength of character. And that is a strength beyond our own. Listen, if there was ever a night that Jesus should have said, guys, tonight is about me, right? We, we would not blame Jesus knowing what he's about to face, to say, guys, you know, I've been doing all this for y'all, but tonight, can we just focus on me, right? Tonight, guys, can you just help me? Can you get me through this? See, I know in my life, when stress comes in, service goes out. When I'm under stress, when I'm under pressure, when I'm facing a difficulty, the last thing I think about are the needs of the people around me. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus is able to do. How? Where does that strength come from? Well, look at what the Bible says, verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. You catch that? Jesus knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew where he was going. And that gave him deep security, a strong sense of identity. That's how he was able to serve in his hour of greatest need. Now look, you're not Jesus, and neither am I, but I will tell you this. As Christ's followers, we do know who's in control, and we do know where we're going. One of the reasons we struggle to serve people is because it feels like we're losing control. That if I serve somebody, I'm giving them the upper hand. I'm surrendering control to them if I truly serve them. But listen, serving others is not giving them control over you. Serving others is yielding to the one who truly is in control, our Father. Another reason we struggle to serve others is because we lose sight of our purpose, our mission here on this earth. Jesus had a very clear sense of purpose. He knew why he was born. He knew he was born to serve and ultimately give his life as a sacrifice for us. That was his mission. He understood it, and he lived it, and it gave him a strength to serve others. Well, let me tell you something. You have a mission. You have a purpose on this earth. And I hate to break your heart, but it ain't about you. You're not here for you. You're not here for what you can get out of this temporary, miserable life. You are created for something so much bigger, to glorify God. And you do that when you love and serve the people around you. And look, the more you can tap into that sense of purpose... The more you can stop being distracted by the temporary empty comforts of this world, the more you can find the strength. And in that strength, 
you'll find a deep joy that is not replicatable on this earth. That's the joy of serving. And then finally, number four. The fourth thing I have to do to enjoy serving others is I must focus on practical needs. Practical needs. Serving is not based on what I think people need or what I think is best for them. Serving is based on what they need in that moment. And I think this is the truth that's very easy to miss in this encounter. Check out verses 4 and 5. It's talking about Jesus. It said, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Why? Why did Jesus wash their feet? To give us an example of serving? Yeah, he said that. To show that greatness was found in giving your life away to others? Yes, but don't miss the obvious. He washed their feet because their feet were dirty. We're so far removed from this custom that we often miss the practical nature of it. You understand, this was not a new experience for the disciples. They had had their feet washed multiple times a day all their life. Every time they came into a house, when they were little, it was probably their mom. When they went into the homes of the wealthy, it was probably a servant. When they went into the homes of others, it was probably a child, a family member. This is something they did every day. We have this image of the Last Supper, of uh, like from Da Vinci's painting, right? This is how you think of this. And it's like Da Vinci walked into the room and said, all right, guys, everybody wants to be in the picture, get on that side of the table, right? And Jesus is in the middle, and they're all lined up sitting on benches behind the table. That is nothing what this was like that night. They didn't sit on benches. They reclined on pillows around a small table that was about that high off of the ground. Stop and think about that. 13 grown men laying around on pillows around the table. Guess what that means? One guy's head would be next to another guy's feet. If their feet aren't washed, there ain't no bread and wine being served. There's nothing but a bunch of gagging, right? This is a practical need, this beautiful celebration that we we participate in when we take the Lord's Supper. It don't happen if the feet don't get washed. That's how practical it is. I've been trying to think all week of an analogy, right, something that would relate to this in our world today. I came up with something. It stinks, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's the best I could do with it. Imagine you and some of your buddies or you and some of your gals, y'all are going on a little getaway trip, but you want to save money, so you decide to all crash in the same hotel room, right? Everybody packed into one room because you're a little bit cheap and you didn't want to get, you know, extra rooms for everybody. So you check in, you go into the room. The room is spotless and clean, but it stinks. And you're like, something stinks in here. And you start looking around and you discover there's a trash can that has not been emptied. Right, and it's full of banana peels and a bunch of other junk, and it's stinking up the whole room. Somebody's got to take out the trash. Somebody's got to meet that need. That's what Jesus did when he washed their feet. He just saw a need and met a need. That's what you got to do. 
practical needs. Listen, how we serve should be driven by the needs of the people around us. Now, if you've been at Cedar Creek, you hear us talking about shape a lot. We're all uniquely shaped to serve. We have spiritual gifts. We have passions. We have abilities. We have personalities. We have experience. We have this shape. And you serve the kingdom of God best long-term by serving out of your shape. But I'm going to tell you, you serve more like Jesus when you're willing to meet whatever needs you see around you. Just take out the trash. Stop complaining it's somebody else's job. Stop complaining that the maid didn't do it. Stop, you know, being so full of yourself that you're like, I'm above that. Just see needs and meet them. Because I can tell you, when you do that, you'll discover a joy you never knew existed. So what are some needs this Christmas? Whose feet need washing in your home? in your office, in your home group, in your neighborhood. Because if you want to unbox some joy this Christmas, you got to serve the needs of somebody around you. I want to close with these last two verses on your outline. This is Jesus that night talking to his disciples. Look at what he says. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's joy in serving others. Unbox that gift this Christmas. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you for this amazing example. You know, God is so far removed from what we think about at Christmas. This is an Easter story And yet it's the heart of why you were born. I thank you, Lord, that there's not a Christmas story and an Easter story, that it is one story, the story of your love. The story of your serving us so undeserving, jacked up people, arrogant people like me, that you would come and give your life away. Thank you, Jesus, for washing my feet. Give me your strength to wash the feet of the hurting people, the broken, undeserving folks in my circle. Oh, Father, would you move us to to truly celebrate your birth by living out the way you lived, the joy of serving others. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.